We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This episode is brought to you by Untuck It. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee with me. As always, he's back. Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group and 95.7 The Game, the daytime producer in the Bay Area. Kyle, what's going on, dude? Oh, not a lot. Hanging out, trying to beat this little uh, little cold that I'm starting to get. Oh, no. I know we usually, like, kick around something not football-related for a couple minutes, but last night it really hit me why, like, we watch and talk about and write about seasons like last season and 2017 and 2016, and it's because of games like last night and games like the last five the 49ers have played. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point because sort of everything that happened in those seasons sort of led into this and, yeah. and understanding what what happened in those years. Um, that context is important into understanding how the 49ers got here. Obviously, adding a player like Nick Bosa doesn't happen if you're a good team. You draft him number two overall because you have a four and 12 record. Because you lose Jimmy Garoppolo early in the season and getting Jimmy Garoppolo back from injury and him trying to work back is is a major storyline of the first half of the year. And now you see sort of 
where Garoppolo's journey is ending as far as the regular season goes after having a super efficient game in Seattle as the 49ers beat the Seahawks 26-21 in another barn burner. Uh, five straight, just ridiculous barn burners that essentially came down to the wire for the 49ers as they end the regular season. The number one seed in the NFC, 13-3 and record, first round by home field advantage. The whole thing, the whole meal, uh, the 49ers basically had as good of a regular season as they could have hoped for. Um, they, yeah. they obviously might regret some of the losses that they have, but look, 13-3 and is is just a very, very, very good record. Like There isn't really anything else you can say about that, and you can be upset that they lost to the Seahawks in November. Obviously, they slept walk slept walked a little bit through that game in Atlanta um you know maybe if they get that fourth down conversion in the fourth quarter in Baltimore uh we're talking about a a 14 and 2 team and last night's game doesn't need to be as dramatic as it was but ultimately looking back on the last few months it was a really great season for the 49ers particularly given the context of what happened these last few seasons so yeah I think your point is a good one that like the reason why we do what we do when we stick through these uh, these lean years, not only because it's just our job to do that, but as like people who like football, it's it. this is the fruit of all of that work because you understand yep. the context of, of where things stand and, and how they got here. We have worked really hard to get the 49ers to this point. And I just yeah, think congratulations deserve, to you. Yeah, I think we deserve a lot of credit. no No, it's just uh it it makes it's so last year i was living in sacramento and i drove down for one game i i I went to one game last year do you remember what game it was uh i don't it was the 39 to 10 blowout against the rams oh okay and i was sitting there sometime in the second half going i have to drive two plus hours back to Sacramento after this. I could be doing this from my couch. Why am I here? Um, because my job requires different things than, than your job does. And right. so I don't need to go down to the locker room. I don't, I don't need to, to do all the things that you do, but this year, a, I live a little bit closer, but B it's like, it's so much, I don't know. It's just, I realized this year, like why it's so much fun to be at the, at the stadium and why it makes the job so much more fulfilling because, um, it's like, it, it just wasn't like, and it, 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 it wasn't for, for me. And so for, for you, especially, um, and all the guys on the beat to, to get this season after the last couple, I thought was, uh, I thought it was really cool, and that just hit me last night. And I know I sent you a text about it, uh, but I wanted to shout you out on the pod as well because uh, because I think it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, it's it's been a really fun year from the standpoint of like my whole thing. The reason why I like football going growing up, going to a whole bunch of like high leverage games, right? Right. Like you 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 know that feeling of okay, it's a playoff game. There's so much on the line. You're in the crowd. You understand what it means to people, and that sort of feeling is what I became. Um, accustomed to and and really loved about football. So my first season covering the 49ers in 2013, there was that because they were coming off the Super Bowl and they were really good. And now they are back to that level after all of those lean years, all of those coaching changes. So yeah, I, I 
the, the context of all that is important because without those lean years, the 49ers don't end up with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch who make all these other decisions. So it is important to understand sort of that sort of journey. And, and last night beating Seattle, like we said, for the first time since 2011 is a culmination of that. Um, and it's just a really impressive win. And I, I think it was certainly a tale of two completely different halves. The 49ers defense dominated Seattle in a way that I think a lot of people thought they might, given the fact that the Seahawks were so banged up. They were missing two starting offensive linemen. Uh, they, were, they were down on tight ends. Obviously, their running back situation led to them bringing Marshawn Lynch off the street. Um, and, and then in the second half, the Seahawks score on the touchdowns on their first three possessions. The 49ers get touchdowns in response on two of those possessions. Uh, and then... They end up giving the ball back to Seattle thanks to a a pretty a pretty killer uh, personal foul penalty on Ben Garland when he couldn't hear the whistle and he's just throwing a block uh, because it's so loud in Seattle and he's 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 called for for a personal foul and it puts the 49ers in the hole for like a third and 17 for he Mostert he almost gets the first down anyway he was about a yard short they punted away. Um, a lot of things happen. There's a questionable pass interference non-call that I know Seahawks fans were up in arms about. Uh, the Seahawks had just a completely inexplicable delay of game penalty at the one-yard line when the entire football-viewing world just assumed this was going to be Marshawn Lynch's redemption run uh, from one yard out, a game-winning run uh, that would have probably caused CenturyLink Field to collapse in on itself, but that didn't happen because for whatever reason, the Seahawks let the play clock go all the way down without even breaking the huddle, and they didn't have any timeouts, and it was just completely insane. Um, and then Dre Greenlaw makes the biggest tackle probably of the year, probably of his life to this point, and the 49ers are probably two inches away from being a five seed and having to go to Philadelphia this weekend. But instead, because Greenlaw made that tackle, we're talking about the number one seed in the conference. And the 49ers are in a really, really advantageous position, not only because, and we'll talk about this going going forward, but not only because they have the buy and home field and all that, but they're going to host the divisional round on Saturday, January 11th. So they're going to get a team traveling to the East Coast or traveling to the West Coast after playing in the East Coast on a short week. So if Seattle ends up beating Philadelphia, then after the game, they're obviously going to go back to Seattle and then have to travel down to the Bay Area. Philly's going to have to go cross country if they win. So either way, the 49ers are going to have a huge advantage because they're going to be way more rested and the, their opponent's going to be coming off a short week. And they're going to have an advantage the following week if they win that game and go to the NFC title game. That'll be played on a Sunday, so they'll have eight days to prepare for that one, whereas their opponent will likely play on a Sunday and have a normal week. So you talk about the number one seed and scheduling and things like that. It's it's looking like the 49ers path is is from a logistics standpoint is about as favorable as, as it can be. And obviously you have to win the games, but. Um, I'm curious to to hear your opinion on this because I know where I'm at, but what do you think the most important aspect of having the number one seed is? I think for every number one seed with, with maybe the exception of like the saints, I think the bye week has to be, has to be the most important thing 
I agree. It comes with that top seed. But especially for the 49ers, where now, because they're not playing on wildcard weekend, Kyle Shanahan said today he's optimistic that both Jaquaski Tart and D Ford will play. Right. And the 49ers kind of late season. Was it a swoon? Would you call it that? That their late season stumble on defense uh, came right about the time that D Ford and Jaquaski Tart both went down. And I don't think that's a coincidence. So uh, for the 49ers, more than anything, they needed that bye week. And getting home field advantage and, and only needing to make one more flight uh, for the season if they do get to the Super Bowl is, is, I think, just kind of the cherry on top. Yeah, totally agree on the bye week thing. And, and I do think, you know, the players will tell you they want home field advantage because they want to play in front of their home fans. They want to sleep in their own beds. They don't want to have to worry about planes and all that. But I do think the 49ers are a better team on the road. They've, they've played better. Their best wins have come away from Levi's this year. Um, and I've talked about it a little bit earlier uh, on, I forget which episode of, of this pod, but, and Sunday's game really sort of added to this idea that Jimmy Garoppolo is significantly better on the road than he is at home. His passer rating at home is 96, which isn't bad by any means. On the road, it's 109. Uh, yards per attempt at home, 7.87, which is pretty mediocre, to be honest. And on the road, it's 8.92, which is outstanding. So... I just think that, you know, the, the 40, it, not that it's going to be a disadvantage for them necessarily to play at home. I think it's really important given that they don't have to go to New Orleans again. Uh, they don't have to go to Green Bay in January where it's not particularly warm. I don't know if you've heard that. Um, so Wait, they're, they're, they're going to get like, the, we both agree that the Saints are probably the most formidable uh, team for the 49ers in the postseason right yes okay so getting getting drew Brees to come to levi's stadium in january instead of having to go back down there and win another game in the superdome where obviously the the climate is is controlled indoors and where breeze is just like superhuman in that place you now have to get him to to deal with the elements and and in his late 30s uh, he's late thirties, right? He's not forty, is he? Anyway, I should have looked that up. Re- regardless, a, a guy at his at at his point in his career probably isn't going to want to play in the elements if he doesn't have to, right? Like we might get some rain, we might get some wind. It'll definitely be a little bit chilly. It won't be like Green Bay. He's forty, uh, but he is forty. Okay, so point stands. Like the 49ers have to feel great about the fact that they don't have to go try to beat forty-year-old Drew Brees in a dome. And for Breeze to even get to San Francisco, it's looking like he's going to have to go through Green Bay uh, as long as the Packers handle business and win their first game. Right. Um, or no, I guess the Packers would face the Saints in the divisional round if the uh, if the Saints handle business and and the um, yeah. Anyway. Point being, the Saints, if they if they play the 49ers in the playoffs, are going to have to do it in the conference title game, having already played the Packers. So yeah. that that's yeah. that's the other thing that came out of Sunday is that you have the Packers as the number two seed, the Saints as the three seed. So the P- Saints have to play Wild Card Weekend, uh, and the Packers don't. The Packers got to buy. So here's here's yeah, I, here's here's the thing with with the Niners. I don't think there was a path for them. Like they're good. They're 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 maybe the best team in the NFC. And 
if you know if you're going by seeding, they are the best team in the NFC. And there was not a path to the Super Bowl for them that was blocked off. But I'm gonna because I I don't want it to sound like we're saying that the Niners had they lost last night had Jacob Hollister fallen forward three inches instead of straight down, uh, and the Niners are the five seed that wouldn't have ruled them out from winning the Super Bowl. But it's like they were running a race. And now they get to go around the inside of the track while everyone else has some hurdles to clear along the way. Right. And and the, the it's bye just significantly, thing... It's significantly easier. Right. This team hasn't had a bye since late September. Yes. They would have played in 14 straight weeks if they had to play on wildcard weekend, which is just insane, which was probably one of the more underrated developments of the season is having that buy that early. Yeah. And they got a little bit of a break getting a Monday night game after the Thursday night game. So they got 11, 11 days between games, which is essentially four days off, which is, you know, quote unquote mini buy. But that's not, you know, that, that doesn't, that didn't do a whole lot for them in terms of, of health and, and things like that. Like getting the buy, getting D Ford an extra week, getting Tart an extra week, like you mentioned. Uh, Quan Alexander giving him an extra week uh, could, could potentially loom large. Kyle Shanahan said today that Alexander is um, maybe going to be available for the NFC title game in, in a few weeks should yeah. the 49ers get to that point. Um, I do think that's interesting given that Dre Greenlaw is coming off probably not only his, his best single play of his fo- young football career to this point, yeah. but I thought he had his best game of the year. Yeah, he was outstanding. Um, Greenlaw was really, really good. So um, that that's that's something. I mean, the 49ers like Greenlaw. I think Greenlaw is certainly better than Aziz Alshire as, as a starting Sam linebacker. Yeah. But, I don't. I don't know that Greenlaw is, is necessarily a liability I, at this point in the year. I think he was earlier, but um, yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I, think, I agree with you. I think the bye week is the most important thing because I think the defense will have a completely different look, particularly the pass rush once D Ford comes back. Yeah, and I think a, another underrated aspect of the bye week is that it'll be Emmanuel Sanders, thirty-two-year-old Emmanuel Sanders, first bye week of the year. Yeah, like he played seventeen games. <laughs> yeah, and I guess. I guess he he. Yeah, I guess he missed his bye week. He played two week sevens, basically. Um, And with a guy who's dealing with a rib injury or has been dealing with a rib injury, who's 32 years old, that's a big week off for a player who's super important to the Niners offense. So, uh, again, there's just there's nothing that you can look at bye week wise and go, that's bad. Like right. it, it, it counts as a free playoff win, basically. Right. The given the the way these last five games have gone, just super emotional, uh, back and forth, down to the wire, emotionally taxing. Like I feel it as a writer, just just uh, like I'm not going through these games nearly at the same level as these dudes are, and like I badly feel like I need to buy. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So like I can't imagine what it's like to be a player. Uh, I couldn't imagine having to go through these last five games and then having to hop on a plane on Friday to Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, where, oh. I mean, the, the the Eagles are really banged up, but I do think that is a very, very difficult place to play, particularly in January. Um, yep. And anyway, we don't we don't have to talk about that because that's a Seahawks Yeah, we problem. don't. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's talk about Sunday's game a, a little bit more in depth and, and drill down into it. Uh, just a really good game from Jimmy Garoppolo. 
I think. Yep. He had four incompletions. Uh, they all came in the first half. Kyle Shanahan did a really good job with his game plan, uh, as usual. And Jimmy Garoppolo completed uh, 18 of 22. His 82% completion rate tied his best for the season. No interceptions, probably the biggest deal. Um, 285 yards. He took two sacks, and both came on the first series, which I thought was interesting. The the protection really shored up after that. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit later in the pod. But um, a really efficient game from Garoppolo, a good mix of run and pass. The 49ers ran the ball 24 times. They had 22 pass attempts. Uh, Garoppolo just just was really sharp and uh and he's been sharp in the biggest moments of the year when the 49ers have needed it and you could maybe point to that Baltimore game on that fourth down play where he really had a misstep um Garoppolo got the 49ers in position to win that game in November against the Seahawks with a with a game tying drive in the fourth quarter and then driving them far enough to kick the game winning field goal that obviously Chase McLaughlin shanked pretty badly um, and he did what he did in New Orleans, which was matching Drew Brees, uh, an in- incredible Drew Brees performance. So I-, I just think what Garoppolo's done now in his first full season as a starter, um, I do think it's really impressive. And I don't know if we're ever going to consider Jimmy Garoppolo like a-, a-, a perennial top five quarterback. But I think as long as he's playing in Kyle Shanahan's offense and the Niners offensive line is continuing to, to play a little bit better the skill position guys are really rounding into form now at just the right time. The Emmanuel Sanders edition is huge. I, I mean, I just think you have to be really impressed with the 49ers offense. And they finished uh, second scoring and fourth in total yardage, uh, fifth and third down conversion. I think you could you could say that if there was an area they struggled, it's probably in red zone efficiency. Um, and I think if you went back through it and I haven't studied this or study the numbers, but I would imagine the 49ers like a lot, they probably had among other teams, like the most significant number or ratio of like big play touchdowns, like touchdowns that went like 20 yards or longer, like outside the red zone. And maybe um, the fact that they didn't have a ton of red zone possessions might've impacted uh, I, that's just a feel thing. I haven't I haven't done the study on that. I don't even know if that's worth diving into. But um, they were 21st in the league in red zone efficiency. So uh, second overall in, in touchdowns per game at three and a half. So um, just a really impressive performance from Garoppolo considering, you know, we talked about it in August, that preseason game in Denver where everyone just thought Garoppolo was going to be bad this season because it was his first action coming off the injury. And uh, and now, you know, he's I think it's pretty indisputable. He's at least a top 10 quarterback or he had a he had one of the 10 best seasons in the league. And I think you could make a case that might have been top six, something like that. Uh, just just given the games that he did win and, and some crucial situations he came through in. But um, really impressed with Garoppolo. And, and uh, what, what stood out to you about the way he played last night in Seattle? It was his lack of mistakes and how accurate he was especially early in the game like he had full command of the offense in a hostile environment in the biggest game of his life and he was money all game and I think that's really been one of the themes with Garoppolo all year is how even keeled he is 
and his demeanor in those big moments. And the lights don't get a lot brighter than they were on Sunday night. And Garoppolo came out and had one of his best performances of the year. There were that you'll remember the first game against Seattle, while there were a ton of drops by the Niners offense, the Seahawks defense dropped two or three interceptions and Garoppolo fumbled twice and threw an interception. And there were no bad throws last night from a turnover turnover worthy standpoint. He right. missed on a couple of balls for sure. But there was never a throw last night where I said, oh, that should have been picked. Or, oh, they right. got away with one there. Right. And that's that's when the Niners offense is at their best. Is if, is if Garoppolo plays a game where he doesn't have those throws and doesn't make those plays where it's like he held onto the ball too long. That's why he fumbled. He threw that to a bad spot. He didn't see that defender. The Niners offense is really hard to stop. And 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 we saw that last night. He didn't have massive numbers, like you said. Uh, 285 yards, no touchdowns. Like, that's not a huge game, but when you watched the way he played, uh, it was one of the best games he's ever played. And, yeah, his two best games of the season were the 49ers' toughest games at Seattle and at New Orleans, yeah. uh, which, I, which I think speaks for itself. And in terms of just numbers... Um, I know a lot of people like to talk about his air yards and the fact that his air yards were were among the lowest in the league. Well, in terms of just raw efficiency, just yards per attempt, Jimmy Garoppolo led the led all NFL quarterbacks who started 16 games with 8.4 yards per attempt, and that's largely a function of Kyle Shanahan's scheme because he is so good at getting players in space and designing an offense that can maximize the skill sets of those guys. George Kittle. Uh, Debo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders, all those guys are very good after the catch. So it's it's one of the most efficient passing games in the league, even if Garoppolo isn't chucking it 25 yards downfield um, every snap like Pat Mahomes might or Sam Bradford or somebody else. So I, I just think you, you had some stats that were interesting about how Garoppolo performed against playoff teams that our listeners should probably hear. Yeah, let me let me grab those for you. In an effort to make sure our broadcast went smoothly, I <laughs> took down TweetDeck. That's my bad. Oh. Um, okay, I got him right here, though. Jimmy Garoppolo, in five games against playoff teams this year, he was 97 for 144. That's 67.4% completion rate. 1,300 yards. That's 260 yards per game. 11.1 yards per attempt, which is massive. Eight yeah. touchdowns, two interceptions, and a 108.6 passer rating. Again, that's against teams that are in the playoffs this year. That's yeah. exceptional. Yeah, he's good. He's really, really so, good. Uh, hey, so, real quick, real quick. Yeah. Uh, the 49ers on gains of 20 to 99 yards this year, mm-hmm. they had 18 touchdowns that tied for second with the New York Giants. Huh. Uh, not who I would have expected to be there. Kansas City, of course, led the NFL okay. with 21 of those plays. Okay, so my my theory was was correct. I right have on. I have in fact been watching the 49ers play football this year. Um, how to babe? Yeah, you're doing so, it like it's your job. <laughs> yeah, uh, fake it till you make it. Um, let's talk about the Niners rookies uh, because I think you were smart to to put that in the rundown today. Um. The Niners rookies have been really important, yeah. and obviously it starts with Nick Bosa, who didn't have a sack last night, uh, 
but was consistently the Niners' best defensive player, I thought. He was, he was all just, over the field. He was everywhere. He was the one forcing Russell Wilson off of his spot more than anybody. He was chasing Russell Wilson down from behind. He was making tackles. Um, I'm looking up. I mean, Bosa had three quarterback hits to lead the team, six combined tackles. He had 11 pressures. Yeah, that's good. That's insane. Nick Wagner at ESPN said that 11 pressures were tied for the most this season. J.J. Watt uh, also had 11 in a game earlier this year. Oh, throughout the entire league. Yeah. That's That's insane. 11 pressures in one game. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be really good. And it's just one of those things. That's one of those, like, if you don't want to deal with stats, if you're a watch-the-game person, go watch. Like, the numbers numbers match it. Bosa was everywhere. And there were a couple of specific plays where uh, Wilson started to get outside and Bosa tripped him up for a gain of three or four. And those are plays that Wilson can tear off 15, 20, 25 yards. And in a game decided by five points that came down to three inches, those are huge plays. And and I think Bosa, I, I'm right there with you. He was the 49ers' best defensive player last night. And the only argument, really, for me is, is Dre Greenlaw, another rookie. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I tweeted this because I didn't think the second half would go the way it went with Seattle just marching for touchdowns on three consecutive drives and, and potentially a fourth on all, on all of their possessions there. But uh, Bosa made the biggest play of the first half when he stuffed Marshawn Lynch on the fourth down. Yep. And for whatever reason, the Seahawks uh, decided to try blocking him with a tight end and running to his side of the formation uh, which clearly didn't work out all that well. Um, I, a couple other people made this point. Uh, I, I, John Middlecoff com, comes to mind listening to, to him and Guy Haberman's podcast. Shout out to those guys. Um, Middlecoff made this point that like Nick Bosa might be the best rookie he's ever seen. And I was thinking about it. And I mean, he's the best 49ers rookie in in my recent memory. Like I, I would I would have to really dive down to, to, to find somebody else. But like, I don't know where Smith- the conversation would start. Alden Smith had 14 sacks his rookie year, but he was a situational pass ru- pass rusher and yeah. worked a lot off Justin Smith. Nick Bosa is just individually dominant. Yeah. Yeah, Ju- Justin Smith at that point, too, was also at the complete peak of his powers. Like, he was, in 2011, Alden Smith's first year, Justin Smith was a Defensive Player of the Year candidate. So, yeah, he was outstanding. The Niners have good guys on the on the defensive line accompanying Nick Bosa, but um, I do think it was a little bit different given the context. I, I just, you know, Alden, like you mentioned, Alden Smith wasn't a three-down player. Bosa's great against the run. He's been playing a ton. Um, I, he didn't miss a game this year, and after, you know, all those questions about his durability, I mean, he is, he is going to be a very, very good player. And uh, even if he can't sack Russell Wilson... Um, or didn't sack Russell Wilson, he impacted that game in, in a really, really big way last night. And I think the 49ers have to be thrilled about that because it looks like, I mean, it looks like they got the best the best defensive player in the draft. And and really, that that pick could not have been uh, any better for them given, given what they needed. Um, how about Debo Samuel? Man. You have some Debo Samuel stats? Boy, do I. Well, he had five for 102 last night and really was the 49ers' best offensive player, I thought. Um, 
or at least most consistently productive offensive player. I guess you could say Garoppolo was the MVP of the offense last night, but Samuel is just really coming into his own in the offense. He had two carries for 33 yards and a touchdown as well, and he's just developed into this like really nice all-around weapon. And this season, I posit, Chris. <laughs> you ready? I got the hot take cannon out. Yeah, let's go. Debo Samuel is the best rookie wide receiver in 49ers history. Here's how I would couch that. Because the 49ers had a player named Jerry Rice who turned out to be pretty good. Um, I would say Debo Samuel has put together the best season of any rookie 49ers receiver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Uh, okay. <laughs> so Samuel, this season, <laughs> 55 catches, 802 yards, three touchdowns in the air, 14 carries, 159 yards, three touchdowns on the ground. That's one of the things we talked about when they drafted him was how multifaceted he was on offense. South Carolina used him in the run game a lot as well. His 55 catches, the most by a 49ers rookie since Earl Cooper in 1980. He had 83 catches. Samuel's 802 receiving yards are the second most ever by a 49ers rookie behind that Jerry Rice guy you mentioned earlier back in 1985. Samuel also had 961 yards from scrimmage. Those are the most ever by a 49ers rookie wide receiver. He had six total touchdowns. Those were also the most by a Niners rookie wide receiver since Dave Parks in 1964. Debo Samuel, all-around weapon and avid Instagram user. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Debo clowned the shit out of me last, uh, I guess it would have been, what, Friday? Oh, I have not um, heard this yet. I'm so excited. Oh, uh, well, it it was, I mean, admittedly, it was a mistake on my part, and it was probably a running gag from, from the receivers. So I go in the locker room, and uh, the first thing you hear is Drake's Versace song playing on the bump boxes. Yeah. Uh, and then you see all the receivers in these Versace robes with their names and number on the back. Uh, Kendrick Bourne is dancing around like he just scored seven touchdowns on one play. Kendrick um, Bourne was dancing. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Odd Good. development. Glad he's Odd development stepping there. outside of his box. Yeah. And I uh, so all these guys are going nuts because Emmanuel Sanders got all the receivers Versace robes, customized Versace robes that had to be a ton of money. Um, and I have a couple, so yeah. I, I made the mistake because they're like, I don't want to say garish is, is the word. Like, it's just, you know, it's there are robes that say Versace on them, like a, a hundred different, you know, it says Versace, like the entire thing is printed word Versace like a hundred times. And so me, because I'm a journalist who makes a journalist wage, I asked Emmanuel Sanders, like, damn, that's crazy. That's real Versace because I took a picture and wanted to, you know, just be accurate. I wanted, I didn't want, because sometimes people do like gag gifts. Like, my friends and I, we might get each other like fake designer stuff and then go crazy about it. And like, it would be a joke on social media because that's right. That's just kind of the sense of humor we have. Yeah. So I, I made the mistake of asking one Emmanuel Sanders, oh, are those real? And then I became the punchline in in this this story in the locker room for about the next twenty minutes from the from the 49ers receivers, <laughs> including Debo Samuel. Um, you know there were there were comment anyway. It doesn't matter, but uh, it was a humbling experience for your guy over here. But uh, 
Yeah, Debo Samuel, a lot of swag, a lot of Instagram usage, high high volume Instagram story guy. Yeah. Um, but a very very good player. Chris Collinsworth, I thought did a really good job of breaking down a lot of Debo Samuel's uh, plays during that game. He called him a star, which I thought was interesting. Um, just how the 49ers can get the linebackers from opposing defenses to come up uh, and either play the run or have to account for Kyle Juszczyk or George Kittle and then use Debo Samuel on slant routes over the middle and and taking up that space vacated by the linebackers and you get him going in motion. He's very fast. And once he has a full head of, head of steam, like he's not a dude that is at all easy to tackle. Nope. And it is just a massive weapon for the 49ers because I think if there was an indictment of the offense early in the season, it's that they didn't really have any other options outside of George Kittle in the middle of the field. Then they go to get Emmanuel Sanders, and then you see Debo Samuel really flourish as as he gets more comfortable within the offense and just being a pro. And now it's like, man, the 49ers have three really viable weapons in the passing game when really we they started the year with with like one <laughs> you know, we talked a lot about Dante Pettis who can't even get on the field now, uh, but they don't need him to. And they have Kendrick Bourne who can make clutch plays when when the team has needed him. Uh, but you have Samuel and Kittle who are just complete terrors after the catch. And Sanders, who is a deep threat. He's reliable. He's a good route runner. Um, yeah, I just think get Sa- Samuel is sort of uh, what happens when you get complementary pieces to unlock everything you can do on offense you get you get rookies to come in and emerge like Samuel has yeah and he had a huge third down conversion last night on a third and five late in the game Garoppolo found him on the sideline for 21 yards like he's coming into his own remember when Dante Pettis kind of broke out at the end of last year yeah it was this random four games where it's like oh Dante Pettis like he had a touchdown in his first game but hadn't really done anything else he got hurt and then wasn't that productive. And then it's this really great four game stretch. Debo's been good all year, but it's been like up and down usage wise. And now these last six weeks, it's like something clicked for him in the offense and they're starting to expand his role to, I think what they were envisioning when they took him number 36 overall. And he is a perfect fit for this offense. And I, I, during the draft, I said, AJ Brown from Ole Miss who had a monster year with the Titans I said, hey, if he falls to 36, the Niners got to go get him. I think he's the best receiver in the draft. He had a great year, but I think Debo fits this offense better and I think is going to wind up over the course of time being a better overall weapon just because of all the different things he can do. And that was on display last night. That run up the sideline on the touchdown, the spin move that he put on to to get back inside and score the touchdown was incredible and something not a lot of guys can do. So, How about that? Uh... Well, 25-yard gain on third and five on the, the last touchdown drive the 49ers had. You know what? Great point. I wish I'd brought that up. Because I I saw that play, and I was just like, oh, Kyle Shanahan must have just dialed up a great route combination or something because there's no way Samuel should have been that wide open. And then watching the TV copy today, Samuel, like, Shaquille, Shaquille uh, it was Shaquille Griffin, right? Yes. I get the Griffin. Okay, Shaquille Griffin it was man-to-man coverage, and Samuel just just did a, this double move. Like he had a really good release at the line of scrimmage, and then got him completely turned around, and just got like ten yards of separation on his own. It wasn't yeah. even like a crazy Kyle Shanahan play against like finding a soft spot of a zone or anything. It was Samuel just being just incredible on that play in terms of his ability to to run the route. 
and get open on a third yeah. down in Seahawks territory that ultimately led to to Raheem Mostert's second touchdown. So, um, yeah, well, that... really, really impressed by by Samuel's game. And I kind of thought going into it that that we were in for for maybe a Debo, a big Debo Samuel performance because he has been coming on of late. Yeah, and at that point of the game, the Niners are up nineteen to fourteen. That third and five was at the Seattle thirty-four. Right so, on the edge of field goal range. You don't want Robbie Gold kicking from there. That's a fifty-two yard field goal from there. Right. And that's that's not a gimme. So I, I'm I'm with you. That 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 twenty one yard pitch and catch was huge and, and it was basically all Debo. Uh he was outstanding. And just another one of the Niners rookies that was it was excellent last night. Okay, before we hit our break, uh you posed another good question in here. What where does the Greenlaw tackle rank among big plays this year? So what do you think's the biggest one for you? Because for me, it's it's the it's the fourth down play in New Orleans from Kittle. Yeah, yeah. I think like recency bias says that it's the Greenlaw tackle because mm-hmm. of what was on the line, but mm-hmm. you also have to think of what was on the line with the Kittle catch too, where the Niners needed that win to stay to keep pace with Seattle. It wound up playing a factor. Uh, wound up being a factor in the tiebreaker with the Saints uh, that gave the Niners the number one seed. Um, so I think the Kittle play is one. Uh, Greenlaw is going to be two for me. I also have on here the Dante Pettis game-winning touchdown against the Steelers, the 46-yard bomb to Emmanuel Sanders against the Rams on, on the second, third, and 16, and then the Jeff Wilson touchdown against the Cardinals. Like All of those are huge plays. I think the Greenlaw tackle... As badly as I want to put it at one, uh, I, I do think it's two behind the Kittle catch and run. Yeah, I mean it's it's very very close. It's definitely like a one A one B situation. Yeah, the I'm the not thing argue is, with someone that wants to put Greenlaw at the top, right? The 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 Seattle game there was more at stake because it ultimately determined the division. Like the the Niners still could have lost to New Orleans and won the division, but if they didn't have the tiebreaker there over the saints then they might have to go back to new orleans uh if they want to, to win the super bowl and that might have been ultimately their death knell, or or at least that yeah. that would have made it just way way more tougher for them to get to miami than having having home field so i do think that the kittle play sort of i mean it, the, the kittle play essentially made it so they they won two out of those three of that gauntlet against the Packers, the yep. the Ravens and the Saints, which was enormous. And ultimately, I think that that New Orleans game was the most important game of the season from the standpoint of like, okay, the Niners aren't just like one of the best teams in the NFC. They're probably the best team or should be considered the best team because of how that game turned out. So, uh, the Greenlaw tackle was super important. But um, I do think Kittle's play was probably going to be the one we remember most this season. If yeah. the Niners, I mean, any, regardless of the regular season, I think that's the one. Um, but if they win the Super Bowl, that's like that's going to be one that that is going to be on his. Uh, if I mean, if he goes to Hall of Fame, which it looks like he's on that trajectory, he has yeah. the most yards ever by a tight end in his first three seasons. Um, Had the highest Kittle, PFF grade for a season ever by a tight end. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, whoa, breaking news. Uh, <laughs> um, also, could benefit from the bye week. You notice that massive uh, pad he's wearing around his yes. midsection? Yes. Um, I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine that there's probably some hidden injury that Kittle's dealing with. 
um, that he would never admit to it, or maybe at least wait till the end of the season. But you remember last year he played uh, the last handful, maybe it was a month, last month of the year with with a rib cartilage injury. Yep. And I do wonder if if there's a similar situation going on because it's impossible to miss that enormous pad that he, he's playing with around his ribs. Yeah, it's like a it's like a flak jacket kind of thing. Right. The, so just bye the, week. Bye the, week kid, the Kittle play, I think, was a better individual play. Mm-hmm. Just, just from a pure football standpoint, the route, the catch, and then the run after the catch of the guy hanging on his face mask and then dragging three grown men with him for a couple of yards. Uh, but the Greenlaw play, like the reaction there for a rookie and a fifth round pick who kind of got thrust into a starting job halfway through the season, um, for him in that moment to react the way he did and come up with the type of tackle he did was also really remarkable. Like, I don't want to take anything away from the Greenlaw play because it it put, it put the 49ers in the number one seed. So um, I I agree with you, but I, I want to make sure that Greenlaw gets gets his flowers here for, for a really incredible play. Well, particularly in the context, too, of the way the Falcons game ended and what Julio yes. Jones yes. was able to do. Um, different plays, but... Yeah, the, the the 49ers not getting burned on last-second touchdowns in, in the same way is, uh, is pretty important. So um, with all that, let's, let's take a quick break before we get to uh, who popped and who stopped. Kyle, ever seen an untucked button-down? They look kind of bad. Why is that? Wow, well, it's because me. <laughs> it's because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, oh. there's there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. Uh, I've worn an Untuck It shirt to a few different Niners games this year. Very comfortable. You can wash them. You can dry them. Uh, they don't need to be ironed. They're They're warm. Uh, I, I thoroughly and they're comfortable. The the material is is soft. It's not itchy. Sometimes you they're, they're like the thickness of flannel, but sometimes flannel can be a little bit itchy. And and these untucked shirts are soft. Um, they're durable. I, I really enjoyed uh, owning an untucked shirt. So with more than 50 fit combinations, untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite. Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle free button down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is a way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use the promo code BLUE. For 20% off at checkout. That is a really good discount. That's untuckit.com, U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com, and promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. All right, so we're going to go through our famous, or our famous, our, our favorite, it's not famous yet, but it might get there, our favorite new segment, uh, Popped and Stopped. Uh, formerly called Winners and Losers. We, we felt like that was too harsh of a designation for this. So who popped? Who stopped on Sunday? Uh, my first one, the guy who popped was Joe Staley, left tackle. Um, held Jadavian Clowney in check after yeah. there was a lot of discussion about Staley 
and the way he performed in that November game when Jadavian Clowney was a complete menace. I think he hit Jimmy Garoppolo six times. Uh, he forced a fumble. He returned a fumble for a touchdown. Uh, I am going through Clowney's um, stat line uh, from yesterday. I believe you it was guess- one tackle. Oh, you, I was going to ask if if you if you could guess how many tackles he had. Yeah, Clowney was uh, was mostly ineffective, and I know Clowney's hurt. He's missed the last few games with a core muscle injury. Um, obviously, he's probably not anywhere near 100. percent But Joe Staley did play very well. And um, and he certainly came into the game motivated to play well because he has heard the chatter about uh, you know the the reaction to uh, the way he played in in that Monday night game. So Staley had a really good game. Obviously Garoppolo taking just two sacks, both coming on on the first series. Um, I think Staley the way he played both in the running game and passing game was was solid. And now he said this is the best. He said before the game, this is the best he's felt all year. He's he's healed from his fractured fibula that he s- sustained week two. His his finger that required surgery after that November game is fully healed. He's conditioned now that he's played in in what four straight games, uh, getting four straight normal weeks of practices. Now getting a bye. The 35 year old tackle is is looking like he's going to be in in good form going into the playoffs, which is pretty massive for for the 49ers, I think. Yeah, that was one of those matchups all week that people were circling and talking about. Like, it's pretty rare that, hey, we watch the offensive linemen, like specific offensive linemen is, is a key matchup going in. And that one was huge given how their first meeting went and what Clowney was able to do single-handedly to the Niners offense. So, I, I singled out Staley a couple of times last night where I was just going to watch him when, when Clowney was lined up across from him, and every single time he he stonewalled him. And that was that was big time, and I think that's the main reason that the 49ers were able to, to move the ball so effectively and why Garoppolo was so much better in this performance is because the pocket wasn't collapsing around him the entire night, and that, and that started up front with Staley. Uh, who stopped? Um, I didn't think Mike McGlinchey had a bad game, but I there were a couple plays. Uh, I think there are two or three that that pop into my head right now that he missed his blocks, and that ultimately led to the Seahawks successfully defending plays that that could have been really big. Uh, the one that really jumps out to me is the one where Ben Garland was called for the flag on on the reverse to Samuel. It looked like that could have been a massive gain there. And uh, if McGlinchey had sh- had blocked Shaquille Griffin, uh, we prob- we're probably not talking about Ben Garland for getting flagged for that personal foul because it, he looked like he was in position to make a good block downfield. And if, I mean, the Niners had a wall of blockers there. Yeah. And if McGlinchey, and it was a really good play by Griffin, but if McGlinchey blocks Griffin there and Samuel breaks free, um, I think that play at least gets to Seahawks territory, and we're talking about that play today as arguably the biggest of the game in the 49ers' favor. Instead, because the tackle happened so abruptly, um, with Garland not expecting it, he was obviously still in blocking mode well after the play happened because he couldn't hear the whistle because it is so loud in there. But... um, yeah, that that play stood out. There was a there was another similar outside zone run. I I, I want to say earlier in the second half, and then there was one near the goal line, 
uh, right before Raheem Mostert's first touchdown where Jadavian Clowney got the best of him um, and, and chucked him aside. But um, that the, the big one to me is McGlinchey's missed block on Shaquille Griffin. And it was a great play by Griffin. But uh, that's why that's why he stopped for me. And like I said, not a bad game for our guy, Mike. But, uh, you know, those, those things stand out. And we got to be fair and balanced. You know, this is this is part of why taking the loser label off was so important to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like part but of it was because no two guys because yeah. part of it was two guys that don't play football calling NFL players losers was weird. But right. also like. Uh, that was a that was a key moment in the game that that I think needed to be highlighted. Overall, a really nice job by the Niners' offensive line, uh, but that play wound up being super important uh, in yep. the game for sure. And I think if if the Niners wind up losing, I think we're we're circling that play a little bit uh, a little bit more fervently. Okay, who popped the next guy? How Raheem about Mostert uh, Raheem did. Mostert? Yeah, he sure did. Yeah. Okay, Jinx. Um, <laughs> Raheem Mostert scored two touchdowns. I'm pulling up his pro football reference page now because I was ill-prepared. How about And we are getting a struggling internet connection. So Raheem Mostert has scored rushing touchdowns. Here we go. He's scored rushing touchdowns uh, six straight games. Yep, seven touchdowns. And seven touchdowns over the last six games. He had ten touchdowns overall this season. He averaged 5.6 yards per carry, 772 yards on, I mean, he appeared in all 16 games after going down last year with, with that arm fracture. Just a really impressive season for Raheem Mostert, considering no, just about nobody thought he would be getting all that many carries this year as the third or fourth string running back. And uh, a really good game for him. And I, I, I continue to be impressed with the way, I mean, he had a couple good inside runs last night, including the touchdown. He had his outside zone runs. Um, I said this to to Marcus Thompson in the press box. Like, the way Tevin Coleman's been running, I, I feel like that's one of the reasons why Raheem Mostert has been effective. Because Tevin Coleman, for whatever reason, hasn't been running with nearly the same juice with these last few games, right? So it feels... It, like it feels yeah, it it does, and I don't want to speculate on that because I don't know, but something seems off, comp- com- particularly when you compare how we played in, in October. But it feels like to me, like, to borrow a, a baseball analogy, like, Tevin Coleman is is the starting pitcher who throws 88 and, you know, doesn't have great stuff or, or whatever, and then Raheem Mostert is the reliever who comes in and throws 100. And I feel like because Coleman hasn't really been all that great and hasn't been running with with as much speed as he typically does, Mostert's speed just really like jumps out and and might be taking defenses off guard. And uh, and and so I think that that might be part of one of the reason one of the reasons why he's uh, he's effective, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so. And I think that there's a method because. Uh, I, I hang out with, with Joe Shasky and Bonte Hill. Uh, they do the Niners post game over at 95, seven and throughout the game, anytime Mostert wasn't in, they were wondering why Mostert wasn't in. And I think that the, the, the way they use him, I think there's a method to it. I think the goal is to maximize his effort in his 50% of the carries or 50% of the running back carries. 
And so I think if they were getting, what do you get, 19 rushes in, in Baltimore? I think if he's getting 19 carries game in and game out, I think we start to slowly see that yards per attempt dip. But the fact is, is oh, he's, for fre- sure. he's fresh enough that um, that 13-yarder, we saw a similar run against the Saints and, and a similar run against the Ravens where he just finds a hole, he hits it, and he's gone. And I think having that burst for four quarters is massive. And so I think that's what the 49ers are, are trying to do when they use him. Uh, also, Raheem Mostert, I just looked this up. Over his last two seasons, he has 178 carries. He's averaging 6.01 yards per attempt. He's the only running back ever, 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 ever to average six yards per attempt on that many carries. He's good. He's a really good player. Fits the scheme, and he's not fumbling, which is the most important thing because that was the issue why he didn't get carries to begin with. Um, okay. Who stopped, uh, the defense in the second half in particular, the 49ers allowed 79 yards in the first half. They were completely dominating the Seahawks. Like the first half numbers were, were really pretty remarkable. They said it on the broadcast. It was like six to one ratio in terms of overall yardage. The Niners scored on their first three possessions. Uh, I think the Seahawks didn't get past midfield until their fourth possession. And then that was the, the drive where Nick Bosa stopped, uh, Marshawn Lynch on, on fourth down just before halftime. Um, but in the second half, the Seahawks drove the length of the field on all four of their possessions. They had 269 yards, obviously inches short of the game winning touchdown. Um, Russell Wilson, pretty good player, particularly in Seattle. I think we haven't, That's we haven't your opinion. <laughs> we haven't talked about him all that much. I continue to be amazed by Russell Wilson because, I mean, the football traditionalists will always want a quarterback to do everything on schedule, right? Like, you need to be a, um, I guess, I don't know if a patient, like, if you're a coach, is I don't know if patience is the right word because you'd be like, well, instead of, like, you would rather freelance than throw everything on time and it would, like, drive you insane if you're a traditional coach, right? Yeah. But the Seahawks always allow Wilson to be himself and so much of what he does is freelancing and backyard football and scrambling um, when things break down and and rarely just you know going to the top of his drop and, and firing off passes but he's so, so damn elusive and so good at moving on the run and his touchdown passes were perfect like he is he throws perfect balls and you watch him like the completely tight spirals completely on target the 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 right amount of loft the right amount of velocity the first touchdown to lock it with uh against akella witherspoon um i thought witherspoon was in good coverage the play where wilson nearly crossed the line of scrimmage yep it was a perfect throw yep um and the play the touchdown to dk metcalf later was also a perfect throw i i don't know that um you know, Witherspoon's coverage wasn't great. I don't know that there is much defense you could you could have on that play, though, because the yep. throw is so good. Um, so Russell Wilson is remarkable. But, yeah, the 49ers defense struggled in the second half. And uh, and I don't know. I, I'm not – I don't know enough to say, like, was it just Wilson being brilliant or was it the Niners defense struggling? I feel comfortable saying it's probably somewhere uh, – there, there's shades of gray where, where both were at play. Um, but yeah, the second, the defense wasn't particularly good in the second half. Um, 
we'll dive into this going into the playoffs for sure, but I don't know how concerned I am about the defense yet. I'll need to think on it uh, and see what the injury status is like, but I'm going to imagine the 49ers defense is going to perform better, particularly at home, particularly if it's healthier. But yeah, didn't play very well in the second half. What were your thoughts on on the 49ers defense in the second half? Uh, Right about the same. I thought that there were some plays that, that Wilson made where it's just like, that's why he's an MVP candidate. Like that's why he's been one of the five or six best quarterbacks in the league for nearly a decade. Like how many times did the pocket collapse around him last night and he stepped up through it and found somebody down the field? Like that's just that's just what he does. Um and he's still developing chemistry with these with these receivers and it he's he's excellent. Like he's just a really really good player and maybe not putting up the monster numbers, but he makes half a dozen to 10 plays a game that I think only he makes. And that's what makes him special. And that's what separates him. And we saw that several times last night where I think any other quarterback, like you, everything is exactly the same, but it's even, even I'm going to pick Matt Ryan. Cause he beat the Niners. Even Matt Ryan, I think takes like nine or 10 sacks last night. Like the <laughs> Niners, behind that offensive line. Yeah. The yeah. Niners defensive line spent so much time in the backfield with nothing to show for it because, well, uh, DeForest Buckner had a sack, I guess, but with nothing else to show for it aside from DeForest Buckner's sack because solely because of Russell Wilson and yeah. and maybe some some swallowed whistles on potential holding calls, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah they're for but sure. I, I don't even want to get into officials. Because His best throw, Wilson's best throw might have been that touchdown that was negated because of the holding call that yeah. Eric Johnson. Yeah. That was a dime. That was a big time play. And that's just what that's just what you're going to get. And that's why with when Raheem Mostert scored in our slack at, at the NFL wire, our my my boss, your former boss, Neil Kulog, said, think it's safe to say these games are wrapped up and started issuing assignments based on what the playoff matchups were going to be. I was like, no, 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 no. There's six minutes left, and this is a two-score game. Has nobody but me watched the Seahawks before? <laughs> like, like, what are we doing? And uh, so there was there was some fun had with that as the Seahawks started to make their comeback and do their Seahawks thing. And they do all of that because of Russell Wilson. Like, Russell Wilson is the common denominator. I'm and not going to oh, – go ahead. I'm just not ready to to write off the Niners defense or or make a judgment about them in the in the playoffs. Just like you said, because A, I haven't seen their injury situation, and B, like Russell Wilson just did some stuff last night that no other quarterback in the league can do. Yeah, when uh, when Bosa made that stop on on Marshawn Lynch in the in the second at the end of the second quarter, um, I would never throw any of my colleagues under the bus. Um, but Eric Branch of the San Francisco Chronicle said. <laughs> Uh, all right. Start writing your gamers. This one's over. Stick a fork in the Seahawks. What is he? What? Oh man! Is it his? Yeah. Is and then he I was, new? and then I looked at him, and I said, "Is he Eric. new?" <laughs> I was like, "Eric, the, the second half is going to be a little bit interesting." And um, but I'm buddy on the under the bus. I would never do that. Hey, something. Um, so- Eric's my guy, obviously, friend of the pod. Um, pops Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, we already talked about him. Really good player. Uh, really good game, good season. I don't know what else there really is to say. Also popped, 
George Kittle, Debo Samuel, we've talked a lot about them. Uh, it's worth noting that Garoppolo completed all 12 of his targets combined to those two guys for 188 yards. Samuel had 135 yards from scrimmage. George Kittle had seven catches, seven targets, 86 yards. He finishes the season with 1,053 yards, five touchdowns. He had 85 catches on the year. Uh, last year, he had 88 catches while playing in 16 games. He missed two games this year with the knee and ankle injuries, obviously. So um, we talk about Kittle all the time. Very good player. Uh, he was phenomenal again last night. He's He's been great in the 49ers' biggest games, and uh, and I think you have to feel really good about the fact that you have him on your team. You get him a bye week because he is banged up. He could probably use the bye week pretty badly, yeah. I would assume. And um, so, yeah, who's your uh, – we, we didn't put this in the rundown. We're bad at, at putting the Demontre Moore MVP award in the rundown. Uh, but who's the, uh, who's the MVP for you? Anthony Zettel. No, I'm lying. Um, okay. Because he's a defensive end and Demontre Moore. No, okay. Um, Anthony Zettel. So when you're in a press box – far away from the field and the Niners are wearing their throwback uniforms, a story which was broken by the Sacramento Bee, by the way. Um, you can't, you can't really tell the difference. Like there were times where you don't know if, and this is mostly because of the numbers, the block numbers on the font with the drop shadow. Uh, it's like, is that Bosa or Zettel? Not sure. Yeah. I was uh, calling him, I was calling him Walmart brand Bosa all night. <laughs> That's outstanding. Um, but it was much more apparent on the television copy. Anyway, that is uh, that is not the point of this discussion. Who's your game MVP? It's Jimmy Garoppolo for me. Okay. He was just he was he was money, and we haven't seen a Niners quarterback play like that in Seattle in a really long time. They obviously snap a seven game losing streak there. They scored twenty six points, which is the most points they've scored in Seattle since two thousand and eight, when they scored thirty three in an overtime game. Um. And I think a lot of that was because of their quarterback play. I know he didn't get on the board with a touchdown, but he had only four incompletions. One of those on like a weird shovel pass. Another one was a drop by Emmanuel Sanders on a low throw. Uh, he was he was really excellent. And if he doesn't play completely mistake-free, that game could really easily go the other way. Uh, so they needed one of Garoppolo's best games of the year, and they got it. So uh, it's going to go to the quarterback for me. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's yards per attempt, uh, Sunday night, 12.95, which was his best of the season. That's really high, by the way. Like, I think sometimes like yards per attempt, the context gets lost, but eight is like a good, that's a real, that's a, like a good quarterback goes for eight yards per attempt. Yeah, he went 13. That's like a really solid number. Uh, the league leader this year was Ryan Tannehill at 9.6. Uh, Garoppolo yeah. actually finished in 30, 10 games 12, 12 games, 10 starts. Ten, yeah. And Garoppolo 8.4 yards per attempt, which is you noted on Twitter is the, the highest mark among quarterbacks with 16 starts. Uh, so to have the point is to have something North of like 12 is ridiculous. Yep. Totally agree. Particularly in that environment against Pete Carroll's defense. I know it's not nearly the same, but the 49ers needed just about every single one of them. And so uh, I think that's a good call. Does it have to be a player? No. It, I mean, how about Kyle Shanahan? Okay. I like that. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, 
to me, and we we've talked about this before, mostly in the off season. Like Kyle Shanahan is really the the button pusher. I know Jen, John Lynch is is the general manager. Um, but if Kyle Shanahan wants a player, like the Niners are going to get that player. So it is uh, like Kyle Shanahan is essentially he he has the trigger on on all the the major roster decisions. And so just looking at the way the 49ers are constructed, I think the John Lynch and, and his personnel department did a really good job of getting players on defense. But Kyle Shanahan identifying Debo Samuel, who obviously had a good game. Um, identifying George Kittle, scheming things up the way he does, uh, enabling Raheem Mostert to suddenly become a really productive running back, while maybe Matt Breida and Tevin Coleman have struggled a little bit, I think reflects well on Shanahan and obviously Bobby Turner, who's directly tied to Shanahan. Um, what Shanahan's done with with this, this team this season, probably not going to win Coach of the Year, um, but I think he absolutely deserves serious consideration there. Uh, developing Jimmy Garoppolo on the trajectory he did to figure out ways to get the biggest performances from his quarterback um, in the biggest games. I think Scheme had a lot to do with it, particularly in New Orleans. Um, Shanahan's done a really good job with quarterbacks throughout his career as a as an offensive play designer and and, and schemer. So um, he's really the the head dude in charge, and uh, and he's. He's good, and I'm going to give him the the MVP award, the Demontre Moore MVP award, mostly because it's just kind of the culmination of uh, that that win was the culmination of the of the regular season, and it's been a pretty remarkable turnaround season for the 49ers. Yeah, so. and it felt like a final turning of the page. Like winning in Seattle was the last kind of leftover thing from the the Harbaugh era or the pre Shanahan era. Yeah, and I think getting that state of Washington size monkey off their backs was was. Uh, I think a, at least symbolically a significant deal. Um, so it just, uh, I, I, I like that pick. Big fan of it. All right, guys. We are going to have a special guest with us when we record this podcast later in the week. Um, assuming these plans don't fall through, which tends to happen every once in a while, hence uh, some guy doing solo pods on this feed uh, <coughs> recent recently. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we, uh, we appreciate you guys sticking with us throughout this regular season. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've seen a lot of growth and, uh, we really appreciate everybody subscribing, rating and reviewing and using all of the blue wire promo codes for our sponsors like untuck it. Um, and hope everyone has a happy and safe new year. Uh, 2019, particularly if you're a 49ers fan was a, uh, was a pretty memorable one. And uh, we'll see what 2020 has to bring starting in a couple weeks with that divisional round. But until then, we will record again later this week with a special guest. And uh, we will talk to you guys then. Bye.